could turn to the book of Philippians, chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. We'll have a chance to read together verses 6 through 8. Philippians chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. If you're there, can I get an amen? Man, me and you, bro. Huh? <laughs> Philippians 1. Is that a quiet group? Philippians 1, cha- um, verses 6 through 8. We there? We good? Audience participation. Paul says, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. God, be with us, we pray in Jesus' name. This morning will be, afternoon, will be a bit of a a part two from last week's part one message, where we had a chance to see the apostle begin to take shifts and introduce a whole uh, new thought. And what we notice then and what we're going to have a chance to look at today is where this man's confidence lies, which in effect is where our confidence is supposed to rest. And so anytime you're, you're studying God's Word, anytime you're wanting to glean from God's Word, you not only want to appreciate what was true for them then and there, you want to also make sure we make application for us and how it pertains to us here and now. Not just then and there, but also here and now. And so the apostle opens up in this particular section of Scripture to really stress and emphasize where his confidence rests. That's important. That's important to know. I mean, he's not, he's not sure or confident about everything. Like us, we're well aware. There's a lot of things, if we're honest with ourselves and there's a grain of humility in us, we're prepared to to say to one another, you know what, I'm not confident about everything. You're going to get a lot of qualifications from me. I'm going to tell you, you know what, I don't know. You know, sometimes it's a good thing to just say, you know what, I don't know. I'm not sure. I got to look into that. Even as parents, as as a parent myself, I think it it behooves me as a parent if I'm going to want to win the attention and the trust of my children to not style myself like I know everything about anything. And so they need to hear from me from time to time. As much as I may be confident about certain things, I got to be honest enough with them to say, you know what, kid? I'm not sure. I'm just not sure of this. You you with me? Um, My boy, Danny, who's a little ill, but man, it's his birthday. So um, tell him happy birthday next time. You see him, we, we, they had a blast at Midwest, but he, he got ill just on the tail end. He got it. I mean, with all those kids and people coming from different cities and just everybody's all over each other. And 
and and so the com the the confines are tight, you know, in there. You just got to pack them all in. Um, they're bound to catch something, right? And uh, so he he caught some, but 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 he's sick. But he it's his birthday, and uh, he just would not allow Midwest to come to an end before he wanted to be certain when he was going to get this Avengers thing that he's been looking for. And I'm, he's just been nagging me all conference week, Dad. Dad, are you, can you buy that for me today? Can we just leave the camp and just go get it and come back? You're not going to have a way to use it. It's like, why don't we just wait? No, 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 no. You got to tell me. I, I told you. Look, I'm not saying I'm not going to get it for you. I'm just saying not now. I'm not confident as to exactly when it's going to be. It's like, please, are you sure? I'm sure. I'm just not sure exactly when. But that wasn't enough. With the kid who wants it that bad, they don't take that for an answer, right? But I had to let him know, look, when the time comes, I'll get it to you. You see, when it comes to the Apostle Paul here in this passage, he finally had something that he could be sure about. You know what's important for you as you're setting out to, to leave home and go off to college and u- university, you don't want to go miles away for school not confident in what this man is confident of. It's very important as you and I set out to embark upon our life and our future and our plans and our careers and our professions that we be confident about certain things. And Paul says here that he's confident about something. It's the very thing I want to make sure that I instill even in my own home, that as much as I want to qualify certain things, and be able to communicate that I'm not too sure about that. I could learn a little bit more about that. I want my kids to grow up in an environment where they got parents that are confident in some things. I met with some parents not too long ago. Um, In fact, they're parents-to-be, and I was talking to them a little bit and wanting to just give them a a couple of tips and just wanting to relate. They're not my members or they're, they're not in our church. And so I just kind of tried to respectfully just engage in conversation. As a parent myself, it, I care a lot about where couples are at and what are you thinking about? I mean, this kid is about to be born and you're going to be parents and what are you going to do? How are you going to raise them? I just want to know, have you guys had a chance? And they're like, yeah, we're Christians, but um, we're not going to teach them the Bible or anything. We, we, we've decided that we're going to come up with a way where we may go to church and we may have a Bible around and we may have our own songs we listen to, but as far as our kid is concerned, we're just going to let them find their own path. And we're going to let them explore different religions and just on their own. We don't want our beliefs to rub off on them. And so if they ever become a Christian, we want them to come into a relationship with Jesus without any influence on our part. So I was like, it's about to change in this room. <laughs> they didn't know I was a pastor. I was just, I was at a party, and I was just, it was just a get-together, and I was just listening. I was like, wow, Lord, help me here. Um, and here I am getting ready. <laughs> um, Paul does not mince his words in verse 6. He's not ashamed. He's the same one who said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. (laughs) And notice here in verse 6, he says, I'm sure of this. He's confident. What is he confident in? The gospel. Now, granted, I know that the church has a reputation, the church, not 
EEBC or Pathway or any other church we could think of, any particular church, the church. I know the church throughout its history may well have had a reputation of putting the foot hard on the pedal concerning a lot of, not just even secondary matters, but a lot of third tertiary matters. When they should be majoring on the majors and not on the minors. As my pastor used to tell me, Neb, when you set out for ministry, keep the main thing the main thing. I said, okay, you got it. Keep the main thing the main thing. Then he went on and he says, look, don't try to die on every hill. Choose your battles well. Otherwise, you're going to burn out quickly. Don't fall over every sword. Know which battles are yours to go after. And then if it's yours, get after it. But if it's not, don't. The gospel is the main thing. And sometimes, a lot of times, we'll be, we put metal, pedal to the metal. That's right. We'll put the pedal to the metal on areas that are totally removed from the very things that actually save people. And what Jesus wants us to be firm about, and what he doesn't mind me putting my, my foot firmly on the pedal on concerning, has to do with the things that actually have to do with eternal matters. That have to do with where is this person going to end up were they to die? Where is this person's relationship with God at? I remember when I was, um, some years ago, we were still living in California. My boy wanted to feel a little bit of what it was like to drive. And so he was like, Dad, please, at least on your lap. Come on. You just got home. And they, they ran out. They, they heard the garage door come up. And he just ran out. He said, don't turn the car off. Don't turn the car off. He says, let me get in there. I was like, what, what are you trying to do? Let's just go around the block once, once. I'm like, for what? I want to drive. He said, no, not by myself. I want to be on you. I said, okay. So I bring him into the car, and, and before you know it, here he is. He's just trying to rev on that thing. I'm like, what are you? Easy, easy. We're in the neighborhood. There's cars on both sides. There's people walking around. I know, I know you're anxious because he heard about me loving to drive and starting out at age 12 and 13. It's like, ah, I'm not too sure he should have heard that. And so here he is, just eager, just wanting to put his foot firm on there. I'm like, whoa, whoa, hold it. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, I realized, you know what? It's not just kids who are like that. It's us who are like that too. And you know what? There are certain times where it's okay. Go on ahead and just hear how it sounds, right? But then there are other times where we can do each other a whole lot of disservice when we pick to do that the wrong time. Paul is modeling for us where and when to be confident and with whom. And so what does he say here? He says, I am sure of this, verse 6. Some versions say, I am confident of this, that he, speaking of the Father, who began a good work in you, will bring the good work to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Notice Paul is speaking of the entirety of the gospel and how the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit have a work to do in our lives. The Father, based on Ephesians 1 and 3, we're told, planned our salvation, that good work that we see here, from before the foundation of the world. 
The son, verse 4 and following, is the one who came, entered into human history, took upon himself humanity, lived the life, went forward, suffered, and died on the cross in order to accomplish our salvation. The father from eternity past planned our salvation. The son came and entered into human history in order to accomplish that plan in history and in time. And the Holy Spirit, verse 13 of Ephesians 1, went forward to apply that glorious work, that good work of salvation in the hearts of everyone who would believe. The Father planned it, the Son accomplished it, and the Holy Spirit applied it to the life of the believer. All of the Trinity found in the gospel. And and Paul is saying, I'm confident in that God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who began, he says... I'm sure of this, that he who began a what? A work. That salvation that took place in your life, and if you're someone who's new or you haven't come to faith in Christ, peep this. Tune in. Lean in even more because this concerns your salvation if you would believe upon Christ. Notice here what we're told. God began a work in our life. Let's, let's, let's note that for a second. Notice. He didn't say, I'm confident that you who began a good work in your life have every ability to bring that good work that you started to completion. No, 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 no. God began this good work. The word there is, is, is monergism. Mono, one. Jism, which comes from energo, which means energy, which means work. It's one work, which means God alone was at work on my behalf and on your behalf for what? for the purposes of bringing about our salvation. Jonah said, salvation is of the Lord. It's not of man, it's of the Lord. And so Paul is saying, the reason why I have every reason to be confident in this work is because it didn't arise from you, it arose from God. You see, a lot of times the reason why we don't have confidence in our own walk with the Lord is because we have the thought that it originated from us. When in fact, it originated from God. God was the one who brought us to life. That's the work that he's talking about here. Now, it, it, it doesn't mean that we don't have a contribution to play. We see that even in Philippians 2 and 12. We're going to see that in weeks later. Philippians 2.12 talks about work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Why? Because it's God who's working in you. You're to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, but it's God who's working in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Notice, it's not either or, it's both and. There, it concerns our sanctification after we come to faith in Christ. But before we're ever saved, we're dead in our trespasses and sins. It doesn't mean we're just a a rotten corpse that's just lying ill. No, 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 many of us were kicking All you got to do is go back to before you were a Christian. You were alive, so what's the problem? I was just alive to all the wrong things, and I was dead to all the right things. I was alive to sin, but I was dead to God. I was alive to the world's word in my life, and I was dead to God's word in my life. That's how I was dead in my trespasses and sins. And what does the Bible say? God, but God, verse 4 who is rich in mercy, 
quickened you and made you alive together with Christ Jesus. That's that work. That's that work where God saw you dead, saw you, if he were to do nothing, I would remain as I was, hardened, stiff-necked, stubborn, recalcitrant, in opposition toward God and toward the purposes of God till my dying day. But God, his mercy is seen in his work. How he raised that same spirit that raised his own son from the dead, Ephesians tells us, is the same one that lives inside each and every one of us and raised us to spiritual life. You see, that's why I can't boast in my salvation. It's not like, okay, I'll be a Christian today. Okay, I decided to live one way and now I will. Yes, there is a point in which you make a decision for Christ, but you have to understand how it was that you were even to make a decision in the first place. It has to do with God and his mercy coming in your life. Were he to leave you as you were, you had the kind of nature that it wouldn't even want to make that decision. It's not that you didn't have a free will, but you had a will that was going to only go in one direction, and that's towards sin. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God, Romans 8, verse 10. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. That's why we have to be in the spirit. We have to be born again. That which is of the flesh, John 3, verses 8 and following, is of the flesh. But that which is of the spirit is what? Spirit. Spirit. The wind blows, Jesus goes on to say, where it wishes. We, we hear it sound, but we have no control over where it comes from or where it's going. Then he says, so it is with everyone who is born of the spirit of God, who is saved, who is regenerated. Jesus is saying, my regeneration, my being born again, stems from what God all by himself did in my heart and in my life. It was only until then that I finally could breathe and have a life to live. That's the song that we sang, Reckless Love. That first line, that first line that we saw there, that's what they're singing about. That's what they're putting to poetry. It's what we're seeing right here. You see, this is that work. Now here in Philippians 2, it's synergistic. It's not monergistic. Sin means together, where we're working together. Now that I am a Christian, I don't sit, God doesn't read my Bible for me. God doesn't repent for me. God doesn't pray for me. God doesn't live the Christian life for me. Work out your salvation, Neb, with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It's not only me, it's God at work on my behalf. But here, what is Paul saying that he's confident of? That this God who began this work, notice he calls it good. It's good. This is a good work. It's a good thing to know that if you're a child of God today, that you're saved. It's good. I got eternal life. I know where I'm going to be when I die. I have peace. I have joy. I have a life that will never be taken away from me. I have an inheritance uh, not only now, but awaiting me. We got a future with our Jesus. This is a good work. My sins have been removed. There's no longer any more guilt, any more shame. I have an identity now in Christ. I got a reason to live now all over again. I've got purpose. It's a good work that God did. 
in my life. And notice he says here, we'll bring that same good work to completion at the J of Jesus Christ. You see, because God began it, he's going to finish it. When you understand that God is the one in the first place who saved you, even when your life reaches turbulence, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we're reaching turbulence. With your life, yes, it may be a little disturbing, but you realize your relationship with God at the end of the day does not rest with you. It rests on the faithfulness of your God. He sees you through it. He sees you through all the seasons. He, he started a work in my life, and because he started it, he's going to bring that work to completion. What's completion? Me fully conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. God's agenda in my life is Jesus. Let me see if I could put it a little differently. God's agenda for my life is that I look exactly like Jesus. And until and unless that takes place, he ain't done with me yet. Notice he says here in the text, at the day, it could even be translated, until the day of Jesus Christ. In other words, that completion correlates with Jesus' return, which means we can't talk about completion in my life until Jesus is here. And is Jesus here? No. Therefore, God ain't done with me yet, which means he's going to use everything and anything in this world and in my life to be able to serve as a means in his hand to perfect Christ in my life. That's the very thing that Paul is confident in. Paul says, look, you want to be confident about something? Be confident about that. Be, com- this is what, be confident about the things that God is about. Be confident about the things that God is behind. Be confident about the things that God is preoccupied with. But Paul says, I can't help you if you're going to start being confident about all sorts of stuff that the Bible never said is yours for certain. That God never came to necessarily accomplish so that you might have. As Christians, we're supposed to be preoccupied with and confident in the things that we know belong to us as children. And that's what Paul says here. But he goes on and he he now opens up his heart and lets us in. He gets a little vulnerable in verse 7. Notice the text with me. He says, you know what? It's right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. Huh? He says, look, I'm not going to apologize to anybody. That's what Paul is saying. It's right for me to feel this way because he's noticing, man, they're probably reading this, and by the time they get to verse 7, verse 6, he's like, what? What's he talking about? What is this? He's like, this is a little, are you sure, Paul, you want to be that confident? How do you know? It's like, "Mm, I would qualify your words a little bit. I'd add things like maybe or perhaps or might. And he's like, "Mm mm-mm. It's right for me to feel this way about how many of them? It is right for me to feel this way, verse 7, about, huh, you all. Notice, not just some of you in the church, you all. Paul models for us a love that's indiscriminate. Paul had a love and a regard for all people, the whole church. He didn't have favorites, if I could put it that way, in his church. He says, it's right for me to feel this way, not about the deacons, the pastors, the leaders, the people who put the most in the tithing bucket. 
It's right for me to feel this way about you all, you all. Paul says, look, my love and my affection toward the church is not contingent upon or predicated upon how they are or what they do for me or how they've been in any given season. It's upon what God has already been for me and what God has already done to me. You see, the reason why Paul could have this sort of feeling and this sort of affection and feel within himself that it's right is because he saw that first in God's heart. He says, wait a second here. After all, God feels this way about this church. And if God feels this way about this church, how can I feel any differently? He he got something because he realized the Christian life is about aligning with God's heart and God's nature toward his church. God says, Paul says, God has this kind of regard toward his church. I've got to have this kind of regard. Some of us think, well, you see, Paul had the kind of church where you could be that way. You see, if he, if he met some of the people I know, I'm not too sure he would have penned verse 7. No, Paul's been around the block and back again. He's had plenty of run-ins, plenty of feet stepped on, plenty of people who've turned his back on it, plenty of cases in which relationships may have fallen on the rocks. And he had every opportunity to be able to say, you know what, forget it. I'm done. Maybe not with all of them, but with some of them. I mean, after all, I already got people that I'm good with. Why don't I just be affectionate toward them? Why I got to be this way toward everybody? Because he says, you all. And that's how some of us feel. It's like, it's not to say that I'm, I'm disregarding everybody. I got people I look forward to seeing. It's just her. It's just him. It's just that, that group. And God says, that ain't enough. That's not enough. Until you get to that point where you have this sort of heart toward all, you haven't arrived to where I'm at. That's the completion. And God says, I'm going to keep working this good work in you until you get there because I'm there. And if you're my child and you got my seed in you, my nature, then you're supposed to be reflecting how I am toward them. How can I be this way toward everybody and you're this way partially toward some? It's inconsistent. And that's what the church is supposed to be about. And Paul says, it's right for me to feel this way about you all. It's right. It's not to say that there may not be difficulties. But Paul says, even if there are, the Christian is someone who says, you know what? We're going to roll up our sleeves. We're going to work on this relationship. It may take a day. It may take a week. It may be a marriage that's hit a hard spot where I don't know if I could say it's right for me to feel this way about her. Or it's right for me to feel this way about them. Or maybe it's a parent-child situation where it's rough right now and it's tough. Maybe you have to say something. You have to put your foot down. You have to implement a policy and you knew that they weren't going to hear it and that it was going to change the dynamics of your relationship. But you knew that it was going to save them in the long run, whether they saw it at the moment or not. It's right for me to feel this way about you all. Because why? I hold you where? In my heart. I hold you in my heart. You see, you aren't just people I attend a church with. You're people I hold in my heart, Paul says. You aren't people I just sign up for a program or an activity with. You're not, just, you're not people that I just volunteer alongside. No, I hold you in my heart. Why? Because you could do all that and still not hold those same people in your heart. You just work together. You could do that at your job. There's no difference between what you do at church and at your job. How affectionate are you toward your coworkers? No, you just clock in. What's up? You do you. I'll do me. Finish our job. Get clock out. Get back to my family, right? 
And sometimes we could treat it at church that way. It's like, I'll usher, I'll AV, I'll, I'll worship, I'll preach, I'll be a member, I'll do life groups, I'll welcome, greeting, whatever program, services, activities we have, we could just be serving alongside, which is fine, but if that's all that it is and we're not holding each other in our hearts, then we're not getting close to the heart of God and what he wants for his church because that's where God's heart is. Where does God hold you? In his heart. The reason why it's right for God to feel this way about you is because he holds you in his heart. In the same way, that's where we got to be. You see, if I'm, if I'm truly, you see, this is why I said salvation belongs with the Lord. When God does the work, you get a new nature. And that new nature that you're given actually does this. You see, some people, they, they, look, you know, they look at you like deer in the headlights and they're blown away because we still got the old nature. And we're trying to live out the new life that's only consistent with the new nature. And what Paul says, that's why God always starts with not getting your behavior caught up and then changing your nature. No, he first changes us from within so that when he starts telling us what our life is supposed to look like with one another, it's like, oh, yeah, that totally makes sense. That kind of actually just, that resonates with my nature. That speaks to my spirit. Some, everything in me says amen to what you're talking about. Why? Because you got a new nature now. You're born again. Right? Once he changes your nature, everything you read about in here, it jives with what's in here. But if your nature is not changed and you're trying to get all this in you, it's going to be an uphill battle. It's going to be an uphill battle. That's religion. Christianity first works on the heart, and then the life catches up to the new nature. So he says here, because I hold you in my heart, for, or it could even be translated because... You are partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. A couple of things here. This is critical. So now he's letting us insight into why it is that he feels this way. He's got some history with these guys, with this church. Because or for you are all partakers or fellowshippers. That's that word again, koinonia. Remember we talked about koinonia fellowshippers, partakers with me of what? Grace. Grace. Huh? Say what? See, a lot of times we're used to seeing grace only in one sense, not in the other sense. If you were to look at grace like a coin, a coin has how many sides? Two, right? We understand one side of the coin of God's grace. We all get that. That has to do with pardon for sin or forgiveness of sins, which is to say when we come to faith in Christ, our sins, one of the promises that's found by virtue of entering into a relationship with Jesus is our sins are forgiven. That's good news, right? God's riches at Christ's expense is a good acronym. It's unmerited favor, right? So God has forgiven us. But that's only one side of the coin of God's grace. There's a whole other side of the coin of God's grace often neglected, and overlooked. And that's the side that Paul is talking about. Paul ain't talking so much about forgiveness or pardon for sin so much as he is talking about enablement and see how to see and interpret the things that are introduced into your life. Let me see if I can unpack this a little bit. Paul at this moment is in prison, right? He says, for you are, Paul, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment, right? So right now, this is how we know he's in prison, the text tells us. So the, for the first time, he makes mention of his location. He's in prison. You catch it? 
So he just said, you're partakers with me. You're in on this. Y'all got in on this with me. That's what it means, partakers with me. Y'all got in on this with me. What? Well, for starters, my imprisonment. My imprisonment. He's like, that's a grace? That's grace? When's the last time when something comes knocking on your door, hardship comes and lands Amazon Prime, two-day, no shipping, hardship, DoorDash, suffering, right? Um, I didn't ask for that. No, your, your name is here. Is it, are these the last four digits of your credit card? Yeah, um, this is yours. Suffering. When's the last time you looked at anything, you name it, that you didn't pray for, you, at least you didn't think you prayed for it, you didn't invite, you didn't anticipate, you didn't expect, and yet it's here. It's in your life, and you can't dish it off to anybody else. It, it's a part of your life now. Perhaps some disease or sickness came hitting, doctor's report came back, maybe a job loss unexpected, you were trying to get that mortgage, you were trying to begin to look for a house, and all of a sudden the company's trying to downsize. He's like, wait a second here, I was thinking this was it, I was going to start something. Or maybe you had to move towns. Maybe you had one kind of difficulty in a relationship. You thought something was going somewhere, and then all of a sudden it went south. It doesn't matter what it is. Whatever it is, like in Paul's case, it, it, you feel bound. You feel held back. You feel like you're in a tight spot. You feel like you're being prevented from being able to do what you thought was God's will for your life. Isn't that what prison is? Literally, in Paul's case, he's, he feels like that's where he needs to be out there, running for the Lord. But he's here. But then he was there for a while, long enough to pray, to wait on God. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. And what was the wisdom that every good and perfect gift comes down from above? What was the wisdom that, whoop, something just fell. What was the wisdom that dropped? Grace. What? I'm supposed to interpret. Remember I said, grace is I'm supposed to interpret my situation as grace? Yeah. Paul sees it as God's grace. God's grace. That you're partakers with me of God's grace. In other words, as Christians, just because we come to faith in Christ doesn't mean we're promised a smooth. That's why I love we sang that last song. Um, it's not about blessings that I come for you. It's about you. Nothing else. Nothing else. Right? Paul learned that through his time in prison. Paul thought that it was somewhere else. And then he said, wait a second, I've learned the secret. I've been in here a little minute to actually learn a thing or two. And what I came to find out is I've actually figured out the secret to contentment, that it's not so much about being in any particular season in my life or having possession or not having them as it is in whatever state I am to therewith be content that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I could do struggling and trying to look for what I need for ends meet. I could do that through Christ who strengthens me, or I could be the person who, what you need? How can I help you? I could be the person who's abounding in a season there for others through Christ who strengthens me. It doesn't matter what season I'm in. It's not about where you're at. It's not about location. It's not about season. It's not about what you have or you don't. It's about are you prepared to see Christ show up no matter where you may be in your life. And Paul had no choice. 
Prison was dealt him. And in his case, it wasn't even because of sin or rebellion or disobedience. He was doing the will of God. And it was because of him doing the will of God that it landed him in prison. And yet, he says, wait a second here. (laughs) Scratch it. Scratch what I sent you. Second draft. It's about to hit the press. Right? That first printing edition. I got to take some stuff out. Chapter 1, get it out. It's actually grace. It's actually grace. He didn't use his season of his life to pout, to curl up in fetal position, lick his wounds, and to use his time writing this letter and waste ink on pouting and complaining so that the Philippians could hear this. No, he used every drop of ink on this letter to be able to point to the glory of God, the faithfulness of God, the goodness of God, the grace of God, even in this situation. You see, Paul was the one who realized that all things work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. All. And that all there in that passage, Romans 8, 28, doesn't have to do with the stuff that we don't need anybody telling us is, part, is of God. We, we don't need help with that. We know that, right? When I get into the school of my dreams, of course that's of God. When I get the girl I want, of course that's of God. When that child, of course that's of God. When I get the house that I've been dreaming for, of course that's, that's of God. When the job calls back and says, hey, we loved you, when can you start? Of course that's of God. Nobody needs help. That's not the all that Paul is referring to in Romans 8.28. It's the other stuff <laughs> that we're not too particularly fond of that Paul is trying to say, look, even that is working together for good. Good. This good work. It's working together for good. Paul is realizing this the real way. He's living this out, and he's seeing that it's working out, and they're partakers with him, which means they saw what's going on in Paul's life, and they're like, what? That's how you see it? That's what you call it? I was, uh, I had to mediate a situation recently, not too long, and it's uh, with a group, with a couple they're not at the church, but and they wanted to look for someone who was not at their church because it was a little, I guess they felt more comfortable because it was going to be a very vulnerable thing. And I had to play a conciliatory role and arbitrate between this situation. They tried their best, and they couldn't reconcile. And so here I was having a chance to, to hear both sides out. I gave each side a chance. And when the time came for me finally to, to have a chance to respond, intervene, I didn't even get to the parts I wanted to get in my counseling session to help get to the point of reconciliation. I just simply started making certain introductory points in passing to get to where I wanted to. And those points had to do with, I was just, there's scriptures that were coming to my mind that I was assuming were already on one page. It was a big assumption, wrong on my part, having to do with God, his role, his place in life, his dealings with us what he uses, and how this is God's working, he's in this, he's in control, and so forth. And one of the persons, nobody knows, they're not at all connected at all here, one of the persons all of a sudden just almost jumped on me and was like, no, no, um, what do you mean? What are you talking about? And both professing Christians, it's like, I, I don't, I'm sorry, Pastor, I don't accept that. I, I'm sorry. Um, I, I, I differ with you. Um, that's not true. I, I don't know where you got that from. That's not in my Bible. Um, that's not my God. 
And all of a sudden, the person just went from there to 100 with me. And I, we had to I just de-escalate the situation, just listen them, to them out. It was just our first session. And I realized this issue is bigger. It's not the beef between them that needs to get resolved. It's their view of God. This person has a different picture in their head, if I were to get in there, of God than I do. It's like, we're not talking about the same thing. So I realized that was brought into this relationship, and that's what prevented them from ever reconciling. This person's like, no, 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 God, God's not in this. God has nothing to do with conflict. God could never be a part of a situation like this. He wasn't a part of what led to it. He wasn't a part of allowing it to continue. He has nothing to do with where it's going to head. It's just something. I'm like, whoa. Tell Joseph that when his brothers sold him into slavery. I didn't tell this person that, but <laughs> I, I, I didn't. I knew that. I knew it was going to get ugly <laughs> in there. Uh, um, no. Um, I said, look, um, I realized this is a, a big challenge. Yeah, tell Joseph that. Tell Peter. Tell Paul that in prison. You see, a lot of times what we realize, you see, Paul had, you see, Paul wasn't exempt from the struggles that we face. So what helped him to pass through, what helps all of us get through those difficult times in our lives is the grace of God. But the only way we're going to avail ourselves to the grace of God is if we see God rightly and part of his role and his place in our life is to supply grace for these purposes. A lot of times we see the stuff going on in our life, in our marriages, in our singlehood, at work, at church, you name it, in our season, we look at it, right? And what we got is this. We got this relationship with God on one hand, and then we got all this stuff going on in our life on the other. Let me give you one example. It's like, a, it's like me going out. I love uh, doing puzzles uh, with, my, with my kids and the family whenever we got downtime around the house. It would be like me buying a box of uh, puzzles, 500-piece set. Maybe it's a big castle or train track set. You name it. 500-piece but there's an additional 100 pieces in the puzzle box, right? An additional 100 pieces. And I'm like, okay, so what, we, what do we have these 100, additional 100 pieces in this puzzle box for? Nothing. So you mean to tell me these additional 100 pieces have nothing to do with getting to that picture on that box? I got it up. I'm trying to get there. And you're telling me I got 100 here that have nothing to do with that? Yeah. Okay, not only do they not have anything to do with getting to closer to that picture, I had to pay for it. <laughs> and, and I got to figure out of all of these 600 pieces, which there should only be 500, there are 100 in there that are unnecessary. That's how a lot of people treat the Christian life. You got all these things undesirable in their life. They see they're just additional 100 pieces. That's what, that's what that person was telling me in that counseling session. It's just 100 pieces. God has nothing to do with it. It's meaningless. It's purposeless. So in her way of trying to excuse God from the situation, she basically took him completely. She threw the baby out with the bathwater. God, let me, see what, let, me, let me drive this home. You see, God isn't the author of evil. I'll grant that. Satan is immediately directly behind evil. But God has ordained all things that come into existence. 
And if you don't have a category for that, you're going to have a God that is God, but there's a lot in the world going on that he's saying, basic, I'm sorry, I don't know. Oh, I didn't even know that was going on. Oh, I'm sorry. Like, I have no control over that. Ooh, man, you're on your own. I hope. I'll try my best to see, but no guarantee. It's like, man, there's just a bunch of stuff going on in the world that either God is not aware of or he's learning along with you, and he's, he's just he's trying to figure out as quick as he can. He, maybe he's just a little bit smarter than you are, and that's what makes him God. And he's just trying to figure out, oh, I got this, I got this, hold on, I'm going to figure something. I've done this before, I've done this before. All right, it worked last time, I'm off to a good start, I'm like 10 and 2. That's the kind of God a lot of people have. Paul didn't have that kind of God. That's not what instilled confidence in him, that he who began the good work will bring it to completion. There is so much going on in this world. And if you don't have a right picture of God, that's why that marriage is going to immediately go to the divorce courts. Those kids, you're going to be done with before you ever even had a chance to even see something better come out of them. That job situation, those difficulties at church, you're going to always be the person who sees the answer and the solution as getting out of Dodge. You're always on the run. You're always thinking it's over there. The answer is over there. The solution is over there. You're not even sticking around relationships long enough to see what God could do with it. You're not committed anywhere. It's just always going. The, the solution isn't God. Your Savior isn't God. It's getting another ticket, bus ticket, plane ticket. It's, it's moving across town. It's always changing jobs because you have, that's, you're your own God. And when I'm my own God, I can't stick there like God can and handle it. The only way I can show that I'm God is by running away from the city. What kind of God is that? The one true and living God doesn't have to run away to solve a situation. He could be right there. That's why Paul was able to be right there and realize God was with me when I was out of this thing. God's going to be with me when I'm in this thing. Paul started out his prayer saying, God, get me out, get me out, get me out. And God's like, what are you talking about getting me out, get me out? I'm trying to get in there. You're trying to pray to have me get you out, and I'm trying to figure out how I can get in there and show myself up and out. That's your God. I'm closing. Do you know this grace? Do we know this grace? This grace is deep and it's rich. It's not just forgiveness of sins. It's a grace that gives us a lens, a, a way of interpreting and processing and relating to in an, in an entirely different way than we used to our situation. Do you know how indestructible this is going to make you? This means it doesn't matter what season your life finds itself in. It doesn't matter what the dynamics look like, what the situation may be. It's not like God could only be God in these cases but not in these cases. No, 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 no. Part of the way he wants to show himself glorious, part of the way he wants to show his grace in your life in great measure that it's sufficient, my grace is sufficient for you, is not by taking you out of stuff all the time but by bringing himself into it and journeying together with you and walking together with you and allowing you to experience for yourself his grace on your behalf so that he might get the glory in all things. That's the Christian life. That's the Christian life. This is what Paul, Paul just, he, he not, he's not even warmed up yet. He's just getting started in this epistle. And he's saying, look, I've experienced it. I was there. And he wants to thank them that they gotten in on it. 
Not only did they admire this about Paul and get the report from him, they're like, what? God showed up in his life like that? Can he do that with us at our church? Here they are in Philippi. Here Paul is in prison. And he was like, if God was faithful to be that way in his life, maybe we get together and pray. Maybe I need to start. You see, what happens is when you start hearing about how somebody is changing the perspective on how they're looking at the situation based on God's grace, what happens is it motivates you to want to start looking. You know what? I can't be complaining now. That's why he said they're partakers with me, which means they're now seeing God's grace in the same way that Paul was. It started with him sharing his testimony, but then it ended with them having their own testimony. That's what happens is maybe somebody here right now is like, you know what? I need to leave this place. I got to stop complaining. I cannot be looking at my situation like I have been. I know I told you this, but I got to start looking at this different. You know what? God's succeeding if that's the case. That's what Paul saw with the Philippians. And it, it gave him a reason when he found out, like, what? Yeah, Paul, Epaphroditus is telling him, yeah, they, they've changed. They used to gripe and complain and be all bent out of shape about all sorts of stuff going on in their life. But they started hearing about you and God's grace at work in your life and your positivity and the sort of way in which you were looking at it. And they're like, you know what? Never. No more. Not us. We got to change things, church. Philippi. And he was like, praise God. That just justifies me. I feel like my place now in this prison is justified. I feel like it's warranted. I feel like I got a reason now for why I'm here. There's a purpose behind this now. I'm impacting lives while he's impacting a whole church hundreds of miles away by the simple fact that he decided to interpret his situation a little differently. I wonder whose life today in your circles could be 180 degrees changed by you simply doing one thing and that is going back to that situation of yours and just looking at it a little bit differently with God's grace. Never underestimate or take for granted what your life could speak and do to the people around you by the simple way that you relate to the things going on in do you see it as God's grace? Not just when it's good that we all don't need any help with, but even when it's tough where you got to be saved to look at it that way. <laughs> you got to have a new nature. Nobody just looks at it that way. You got to be saved. You got to have a hope beyond this thing to look at it that way. You've got to have a rock firmer than this thing to look at it that way. You got to have something else to live for beyond this thing to look at it that way. Be ready always, Peter says, 1 Peter 3.15, to give an answer to every man who asks you a reason for the hope that lies within you, right? The reason why people don't ask us is because our hopes are exactly like their hopes. What's going to lend to the curiosity on the part of those around us is that they're going to be looking at you like, wait a second, man, something's different with you. Something's different with you. I don't see how you can have that going on in your life. I don't see how you can have that introduced into your life. I don't see how you can have all hell breaking loose. And here you are, holding it together? Wait, we got to sit down. You got to communicate. <laughs> what is it? <laughs> Jesus, you get a chance. You got an access for the gospel. That's what Paul had. They're looking at him like, what? You not mad at your God for landing you in here when you didn't do anything? You're going to still serve him? Wait a second. Yo, let's sit down and hear what this man has to say. And he had a chance to share the gospel. That's you, friend. 
That's you, church. That's all of us. And so let's leave this place hopeful. Let's hopeful. Maybe your situation may not change immediately, but if this one thing changes, that's all that matters. Amen? Can we stand together? We'll pray. I pray, just bring, you know you better than anybody else. Just bring these next two, three minutes. Just bring your case, your situation before God. And ask for that grace right now as I pray. Just invite God's grace into your life. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus. We thank you. 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 Father, we pray thanking you for your word. We thank you for your promises. Thank you for the good work that you've begun in our lives. Thank you, Lord God, for being there, not just in the beginning, but even now. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. You're a God that will never leave us nor forsake us. You're the one who remains committed. You're the good shepherd who doesn't bail on the sheep when the wolves come. Thank you for tending to each and every dear soul. God, we pray now, as you did in this apostle's life, do in our lives. As your grace met him, may it meet us. As you were there for him, be there for your people here. Lord God, as you showed yourself faithful then and there, show yourself faithful here and now. Lord, I thank you for your people. And I ask, Lord God, with the myriad of challenges and situations and circumstances and trials that have come knocking, so many of our doors. Lord, would you help? Would you come to the rescue? Would you help us, Lord God, to avail ourselves to your grace? We, we may have well prayed again and again and again, Lord, remove this, but your word may well have come back to us like it did to Paul. My grace is sufficient for you. May then your power be made perfected and strong in and through our weaknesses, we pray. Now, God, I pray that as we go from this place, that we leave with you and with your grace in our lives, a grace that sees the world differently, a grace that has an ability to interpret our situation differently, a grace that sees through your eyes a God who is all good, all sovereign, all powerful, all wise. Father, we bless you give you all the glory and it's in your son's precious name that we pray and everybody said amen amen, amen. amen. God bless you